prayer and get started. Our Father and our God, we love you and we thank you so much for the privilege to be called your children. I learned this morning that it was not by anything we had done that had obtained that, but you and your mercies being poured out on us that grants it. And Father, I just thank you for that. As I heard this morning, we, we repent of not being more grateful, more thankful, and simply living in what you have done. Father, as we look at your word this morning, I pray that it would encourage your people to live after you and walk after you and be dependent upon you. Father, I just pray your words speak the life that they're well able to do. For our church families that are away, some are traveling, some are uh, just weekend away, Father, bless them, keep them, bring them back. For the ministries that go on here at this church, Father, many we know of, others are very quietly accomplishing your work. I rejoice in that, and I pray you strengthen the workers. As we get ready for fall festival, Father, I pray you remind us of what it means to gather together as your people and enjoy all your blessings and be a testimony to the world of what you have done. We give you the praise and honor now. I ask you to speak for me. In your son's name I pray. Amen. We've been going through the book of Acts, and last week we, we spent some time in chapter 2, looking at what God had done. And, you know, as I began to think about this and meditate on how to present chapter 3, and, and I've been looking, trying to look at it with a fresh set of eyes because I've already went through Acts once, and actually I have a whole commentary sitting at my desk from when I did it the first time. And I read it again and kind of laugh at myself thinking, really? <laughs> um, but as we, we, just to refresh our minds a little bit, at the end of chapter 2, the church is just is birthed, if you will. And they begin to live in the grace that God had bestowed upon them. It's been a, it had been a long time since the children of Israel had lived this way. The way they're living at the end of chapter 2. Where they were receiving the word of God with grace. And they were being baptized... It says in chapter, verse 41 of chapter 2, it says that 3,000 were added that day. Man, as I heard in Sunday school this morning, a very short 10-minute sermon under the power of God is sufficient. That for a multitude. And, as they, and, and, and coming into that, it says in verse 42, and this is the, the thing that just overwhelms me constantly. I'm constantly being pressed and reminded that this is what the church is to look like. As I told you last week, I was recently instructed that, that you couldn't use the book of Acts as doctrine because it's a historical book, and I maintain that it just proves that your doctrine's accurate when, when you look at this book. Because this is what was going on. When God poured His Spirit out on the people, this is what started to happen. That's a pretty good indicator that it's correct. Pretty good indicator we should teach that. If God's doing it and things are accomplished, we should teach that. So they see there in verse 42, they continued steadfastly. They continued steadfastly. You can interpret it steadfastly any way you want, or you can try to interpret continue to mean something other than ongoing, and steadfastly meaning I'm steady in it. But that's exactly what's being implied here. They, they were ongoing, steadily involved in being a part of the apostles' doctrine. That just meant the Word of God was just 
paramount on their lips and their heart. It was a normal part of their existence from that point forward. And they sat under the apostles' doctrine. It wasn't enough that it was just that I heard it. I mean, they sat under it. I would argue that everybody in this room has got at least one Bible in their home, probably multiple Bibles, probably various translations, probably different ones that have been gifted to you over the years. Somebody gave you this kind, that kind. I, you know I have several. Josh has got a whole shelf full of them in multiple languages. But we have to, it's more than just to have it there. It has to be under it, meaning I'm submitted to it. And they were submitted to the Word of God. That's whatever the apostles were teaching, that they, because these guys were given this apostolic gift, if you will, the demonstration of power of God was coming through these men, and, and great and mighty things were happening, but they then were proclaiming Jesus Christ and Him crucified, Him buried, Him resurrected, and this is the power by which it rests. And I know I'm repeating myself. I've said this for 14 years. And yet, we seem to get away from it. Somehow it's not enough. I heard, what did, what was it, what, what did he say this morning? Um, people, it's, it's not that people don't have a translation to read. They're just bored with the Bible. It certainly doesn't seem to be as exciting as, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey, which, by the way, had tremendous popularity among Christian women. Certainly not as popular as some Avengers movie or... Star Trek movie or some other such thing. <laughs> or whatever your particular thing is. I can get lost on Mayberry, right? And Andy Griffith, Andy Taylor is awesome. Had some great words of wisdom. It's not God's word. It's just a guy who lived in Mayberry. It doesn't exist anywhere in the world. Just say it. But the apostle doctrine is true. It comes from our God and, and, and distilled amongst His people. And so they sat under that. And with that apostle's doctrine came fellowship, not to be separated from the Word of God, but inclusive with the Word of God. The apostle's doctrine and fellowship, it was hand in hand. It didn't separate. I've told you this before, too. I think I'm going to repeat everything I've ever said. I'm going to say it again today. I'm always amazed at people who say I'm a Christian, who say I believe by the Word of God, and then when we start talking about having fellowship built on the Word of God, suddenly, eh, take it or leave it, eh. When in fact, he's saying to us, this is what they were doing together. When the Spirit of God poured out on these people and 3,000 souls got saved, the Word of God became paramount, being spoken through those men in fellowship with those men in the Word of God. You couldn't have, let me put it this way, you could not hang out with Peter if you didn't want to talk about the Word of God. Peter would say, we don't have fellowship, buddy. We can't have fellowship over the Roman centurions and the, and the gladiators. We can't have fellowship over what's going on in Corinth. We can't have fellowship over what's going on in Ephesus. But we can have fellowship, you and I intimately involved with each other, over the Word of God. That's why we're drawn together. Look around this room and be honest. How many people in this room would you be hanging out with all the other courses a day if it was not for the Word of God? Just be honest. It's true. I know. I know I know. you'd look at me and go, I ain't hanging out with that guy. <laughs> me and Mr. Jim would because we talk about the dolphins, but that was back in the day. 
but fellowship built on the Word of God. And what did that produce in them? If you continue to look at the passage, in the breaking of bread and prayers, and I've told you this a thousand times too, this breaking of bread was more than just, oh, here's a piece of bread. Sit at my table with me. Although that was plainly a part of it. Intimately involved in your life and fellowship, meeting needs, being concerned for each other. And prayer. I love it when I see people in our church family, somebody says something to somebody about something going on in their life, and they immediately say, well, let's just pray. Right here, right now, we're in this, we're in this pew. We're in, this, we're in the, the nursery. Oh, we're in the bathroom. We're in the fellowship hall. Wherever it is, we're out there working on the pump. And this becomes a paramount part of our life. And it changed the way it was, God was worshipped in that community. Could you imagine the multi that there's 3,000 people and they're all hanging out together. They're all taking their bread and they're all sharing it and they're all praying for one another and they're all sitting under the same Word of God. They're all being convicted and corrected and directed under the same truth of God's Word. They're starting to enjoy it. They're starting to enjoy each other. They're starting to be a blessing to the community. They start to stand out in a crowd. The light starts to come on and the world starts to take notice. What is going on with these people? Because there's nobody else in the known world at this day who's acting like these people are acting. There's people from 12 different nations. Somebody reminded me last week, I said, I'm not sure if the Aztecs were there. I get from a historical standpoint that the 12 nations were under the Mediterranean region, those who were wrapped around it and those who had come. But I'm still going to argue that the world proclamation went to the whole world, so if somebody wanted an Aztec to be there like God, he can do it. And here they were, suddenly and miraculously different because of God. These were people who had been bound with 400 years of tradition. I'm talking about the Jews who had come back from captivity. They were bound up in 400 years of tradition. Tradition that without understanding is ritual. Because I'm all about tradition. We're about to have some tradition here at the end of the month. The fall festival is a tradition for us. And if we participate in the fall festival without understanding, it's nothing more than a ritual. If you don't know why we do the fall festival, it's a ritual. And a ritual done without faith is idolatry. So if you participate without understanding, you don't have any faith in what God is able to do in the midst of that, then it just becomes an idolatrous practice. And that's not what we're about. So we have it because of faith, because of what God has done and what He's capable of doing. We have it because we sit in the Apostles' Doctrine and it tells us to love one another. This is how old men will know that I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, the love we have for each other. doesn't say about how my, my charitable gifts are with the Red Cross or my charitable gifts are with something else. It's about how we love each other, the mission dignity that was presented. And the, the heart and the essence of it is that we love one another. That's the essence. This is what we have, and this is what the church was given on that day. But for 400 years, they had gotten away from it. 
if you, from a historical standpoint, remember we went through Ezra and Nehemiah, we studied all of this and covered it in some detail. But the short version is when they came back from Babylon, from captivity, after Cyrus had been prophesied that he was going to be a part of letting them go, and they come back, they rebuild the temple, and they rebuild the wall, and they start the city again. But remember, there's no Ark of the Covenant present in the temple. When Babylon took them captive, the Ark was carried off, and it was never seen again. I don't know what happened to it. With all due regards to Indiana Jones, I do not think it's buried in a Tannis Egyptian burial site. I think it's been melted into whatever and it's been spread all over the course of everything. The reason it is is because God purposely designed for it to be removed because there was about to be an ark that was going to come. Who would sit over those broken tablets who would direct us with the rod that buds, who would provide for us true manna from heaven. But for 400 years, they started worshiping. They, they came back and worshiped. They came back and did it, and they taught their kids to do that, and they kept on and on, but there was no power, no grace, no nothing. So by the time we get to Jesus' day, all we got are Pharisees and Sadducees who are nothing more than legalists, who are nothing more than going, you've got to do it this way. They don't even know why they're doing it. It's just what we do. And here's the church, alive in the Lord Jesus Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, loving one another, resting in the things of God, enjoying the things of God, helping one another, living for Him and with each other, doing all these wonderful things, so much in fact. Then in verse 43 it says, that fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Can you imagine? Remember we heard the story of the rich young ruler this morning. By complete contrast, these folks were taking what they had and said, hey, you, you have a genuine need, we're going we're gonna to sell that. We're gonna, I'm going to get rid of this and help you with that. Can you imagine? Living in the freedom that is associated with this truth. I dare say, that many of us here today probably live have far more struggle with tradition and ritual than we do with living in the freedom of Christ. We're more bound up by the things that we can't have any control over that really don't change our lives when in fact we could and should through the precious blood and atoning work of Jesus Christ live in the freedom which is Christ Jesus because He is the one who became the propitiation for your sin, who paid for your sin, who covered those broken commandments in your life and became your Lord and Savior and has redeemed you unto Himself and has granted you the privilege of living in Him free of the old condemnation. So that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And yet here we struggle. This is what those people were enjoying. It says in verse 46, So they continued daily with one accord in a temple, breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. You mean they went to church and went to people's houses? Unbelievable. You mean they went to the temple and they hung out at their neighbor's house? They went anywhere in the freedom that is Jesus Christ. That's what these folks were enjoying. That's what they were celebrating. Because it says in verse 47, 
praising God and having favor with all the people. All the people. Do you think Christians have favor with all the people in America today? These folks were doing these things, living this life in the freedom of Jesus Christ, being the church, enjoying these wonderful blessings of God, and what it says is that they found favor with all the people. All the people. There's a time perhaps we found favor with all people. But I think what's happened to us is we've, if we're not, we have fallen back into the old trap, the old struggles the old rituals, the old idolatry. See, you've been set free from that. I want you to turn over now to Acts chapter 3. That was my introduction. Now we can actually start the sermon. Note it says in chapter 3, verse 1, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. See, here they are worshiping, enjoying the Lord, and teaching the truth of God's Word, just pouring out of these men, out of their bellies to flow rivers of living water. That's exactly what was going on. And the people were receiving it. They were being increased. They were being strengthened. They're sharing. They're loving. They're being the church. And here in the midst of that, these guys go, let's go over to the temple at the ninth hour. That's about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It's the hour of prayer. Morning, noon, and evening. Three times a day, Jews would pray. Daniel did that. Remember? That's what got him in trouble with the world because he was praying. Psalms 55, I think, says the same thing. They go to a place where the tradition and the ritual is running rampant. So much so that it had turned into a, a, a political and religious farce. That's what was going on there. Jesus didn't turn him tables over for no reason. They had turned it into a place of convenience and contrivance to make men rich. And their dependence was on something other than the living God. The prayers were repeated. They were routine. They were, Jesus said, repetition. Oh, they offered the lamb. Oh, they offered doves. They kept everything. Man, these were people who would count the mustard seeds to make sure they tithe just the right amount. Could you imagine counting mustard seeds? If we, if we lived in a day when we took mustard seeds, we were passing this around, and instead of throwing your dollars in there, we were putting mustard seeds, and you had to count them. Now, wait a minute. I can't give too many, but i got to give just the right amount. So let me count these out. Can I use your tweezers, please? One, two, they were trapped in vain repetition. They were trapped in lovelessness. They were trapped in a form of legalism that they thought they were doing these things and somehow it was going to change their lives. And for 400 years, nothing had changed except they had become more ingrained with Roman uh, government, Hellenism. These were the things that covered them. So they had Greek thought and they had Roman authority, and that's how they acted in that nation. Nothing has changed. So let's go there on the ninth hour while they're praying. Scripture doesn't tell us where they were led, Peter and John were led there, um, had, a, had some uh, prophetic understanding to go in that sense but I'm convinced that they went because they were going to share the truth with anybody who would hear. 
because these men had been set free. They understood that I don't, it's not about what you guys are going to do next. It's not about getting your money changed into temple money and offering it. It's not about getting the right dove. It's not about those things. Jesus has fulfilled every one of these things for you, and you can live in Him. That's what it's about, guys. And we're going to come down there where that's going on, and we're going to share the truth. I don't know how it's going to play out. I don't know which way God's going to work it, but that's where they're going to go. And the reason I know that this tradition, this ritual, had no bearing, no change in a man's life is because of verse number 2. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, Now, we can talk about the theological implications of that, but we're, it suffices to say that this has been ordained of God for God's purpose for this very moment. His lameness that was started in his mother's womb, which was the result of the sin nature that all of us are convicted and corrupted in. Not that his mama committed a sin, I'm not saying that, nor did he sin, because that's what they asked Jesus about the blind man, remember? Who sinned, him or his mama? And Jesus said, Neither. This man was made blind so that the works of God might be made manifest. And it's about to happen. And Jesus set his eyes free so he could see the truth. And it's the same thing here. But nonetheless, he was lame from his mother's womb. I don't know how long or how old he was or how long he went to the temple, but you know what I'm thinking? And I might be wrong. But this man practiced a ritual too. Every day he got carried to the temple. Every day. And they sat him right in front of the gate beautiful. Now it's interesting about the gate beautiful, which in a little research you'll find this out. It's the only gate of the temple that's not covered in gold and silver. It's covered in Corinthian brass. So it's unique. That's why it's called the gate beautiful. That's just a different picture. And so here he sits in front of the gate beautiful, this Corinthian brass, collecting alms, asking for alms. Interesting place to be put, isn't it? Could you imagine? I can't help it, but I just had to meditate on this, think about it. If we had a cripple guy sitting out front every Sunday, and he's sitting there begging for alms, would you be convicted by that? Would it bother you in any way when you came in? Would you be somehow pressed to do something? Somehow, in some way, I've got to help. And yet, the tradition that we always have doesn't do anything to help me really help that man. So we do just like we do at the interstate. We throw him a nickel, throw him a dime, throw him a dollar, throw him whatever. Because my tradition has told me that's what it is. Because under Levitical law, they were required to take care of the poor. You couldn't glean the whole field because you had to leave a portion for the poor. And I'm always amazed that even today tractors can't get in the corner of the fields because we fenced them off square and a tractor can't get in there so the corners are always open so the poor still can get in there. That's just Robin's cool thought for today. But if he was sitting there and you want to do something, right? I'm thinking you would. I'm thinking I would. I know you guys, you'd want to do something. You'd say something about, we need to pray for him. Maybe God will do something. But I'm going to go on in and have service. 
and I'm going to watch the Mission Dignity videos, and I'm going to watch the other videos, and I'm going to sing the songs. I'm going to really be happy that we have a new praise and worship guy who plays marvelous and has blessed us. And we're going to hear a sermon. I hope to be encouraged and instructed by the sermon. I'm going to let the pates pass and get my offering, and maybe, maybe the water will work fine and won't be any problem, and we'll have a great day. And we'll go out and say, man, it was great service. See you, buddy. Tradition and ritual had not changed that man's life. And i got to believe he sat there when Jesus entered the temple. He's a grown man. Jesus just passed away, and, or passed on to, to the resurrection and to glory. He just left. So he's there. You know this man had seen that crowd go by. What's going on over there? That's that Jesus guy. He's the prophet, been healing people, doing things, says he's the Lamb of God, says he's going to say he's the Savior and he's the Christ, All you know. Well, can y'all carry me over there? No, the tradition says we got to be here. Tradition says we got to do it this way. Ritual says this. Idolatry makes me be here. And here's this man. And for the first time in his life, it's about to be different. He's about to have a change in his life that is not built on anything that he's done, not built on anything that's been doing, not any tradition, not any ritual, none of that. It's about to be a brand new thing. This man is about to have a work done in his life that is going to change everything. I bring this up because do we have any loved ones that were still waiting for God to do something? And what we need to do is give them something new. Because I would submit that the truth is what we've been giving them is the same old thing. Whether we even realize it or not, this man every day had been set at the temple, at the gate beautiful, expecting alms. And when Peter and John show up, it changes. Why? Because God had changed Peter and John. And they were no longer under the old way. They were now living in Christ. And you and I as believers today, if we are living in Christ, we are now living in a new way. And I love the statement, and I, quite frankly, I love the way King, King James says it. <laughs> and I'm not abdicating one over the other, I'm just simply, I love this. So when Peter and John, verse 3, uh, about to go into the temple, he asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John and Peter said, look at us. So first of all, Peter engaged this guy. Now, be honest. You don't have to raise your hand. Y'all ever been at the interstate waiting on the light to change so you can get off and go? And that fellow standing over there with his sign says, we'll work for food. Or the other guy says, sign, why lie? I just want to go buy a beer. I've seen that guy. How often have you sat there and not looked? If I don't make eye contact, if I don't make eye contact, if I don't, oh, he made eye contact. Oh, no. Okay, here. And I'm not debating the man on the side of the road. You know what? If he sits there for six hours a day, he had to get up and go somewhere. I'll give him that. I don't know anything about the man. I'm not nothing about it. Peter said, look at us. Peter said, I'm going to engage you. It's about to be different. See, when we fall into ministry, one of the things we have to do is engage them. Engage them. Look at me. The problem is none of us want to say, look at me. 
because we're afraid of what they will look at and see. I've heard this countless times. Don't look at me, just look at the Lord. Absolutely look at the Lord. But Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ, which puts the onus on me to pursue after the things of God in such a way that if, God forbids, you were to look at me, you might actually see some Christ-like qualities. You might be encouraged. I've got to talk to this Jesus guy that he, this guy looks at. I've got to find out about that because his life is different. Because they're giving food to each other. They're praying for one another. They're bearing burdens. They're suffering together. They're listening to the Word of God, and the Word of God is doing something in their life. He said, look at us. So he gave them attention, expecting to receive something. I bet a lot of guys said, look at me. Flip. A lot of rich young rulers came by. Flip. Awesome. And didn't offer him anything that really changed his life, because alms don't change your life. If they did, never mind, I'm not even going to say it. It would have been political and I'd just leave it alone. We just know giving money doesn't change things, does it? Or as I'm reminded of what Brother Andy used to say, if money will fix your problem, then you don't have a problem. He said, so they gave attention, expecting to receive something from them. Receive something from them. And then Peter said, and I love this, silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Isn't that glorious? I don't have any gold and silver. I don't have that. I heard a story about a, 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 a missionary that went to a, a great cathedral. And maybe it's a maximum, I don't know. But anyway, he goes into the great cathedral and he's looking at all the marvels of this great cathedral. I was reading this morning about Notre Dame and how it's being repaired and, and the billions of dollars it's going to take to rebuild Notre Dame. And so the man's looking at it and the priest says to him, he says, look around at the marvels, the stained glass windows, the, 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 the furniture, the, the architecture, the design. Look at these murals, look at these tapestries, look at everything that we have. It's, oh my goodness, look what we have possessed. And the priest says, no longer can the church say, gold and silver have I none. And the man says, no longer does the church say, rise up and walk. We're supposed to say, rise up and walk. When we live in Acts chapter 2 church life, we might see Acts chapter 3 happening. And I'm not putting anything to say you got to name it and claim it, you got a special gift or wave your jacket or any of that junk. You know I don't go there. I'm simply saying, here we see two men whose lives have been transformed. They don't, they don't live by the tradition and the ritual anymore. Although, again, there's nothing wrong with the tradition. I like tradition. But tradition has to be in its place along with everything else God has. Gold and silver have we none, but what we have we give unto you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. This man who had by, sat there every day at the place where ritual was supreme, where everything was being done by the book and everything was being done right, and we had it all down. His life had not changed. He was still lame from his mother's womb. The result of the sin nature was still on him. And then these two guys who had been transformed by the living God show up and say, 
we're going to give you what we got. And he took him by the right hand, which means now not only do I have to engage you, but I got to come alongside and personally get involved. Personally get involved. One of the great struggles in our discipleship ministries and across the globe is we don't get personally involved. I don't... You know? It's like everybody's a leper. Guess what? They are, and so are you. So lepers giving lepers leprosy. Awesome. <laughs> he got him by the hand and said, stand up. And just started pulling him up. And this man stood up. The reason it's important to understand that he was lame from his mother's womb because he's about to do something he's never done before. Never done before. He's never walked. Any of y'all have children? I'm the only one who has kids? Awesome, Sonia. Good thing for us. Any of them, you train them how to teach them how to walk? They had to learn how to walk, right? God bless Josh. I don't know why he doesn't have a big just black and blue mark today right here, poor feller. Boom. The Scripture says this man just stood up leaping and praising God. He had never done that before. He'd stood at the temple, right, doing what the law told him to do. He was right there, but it had not changed his life. And now the Word of God in Jesus Christ has changed his life. He's now standing up and walking around, praising God, something he'd never done before. He didn't learn it. He wasn't taught it. He didn't get it off the shelf. God supernaturally put it into him, straightened his legs out, straightened his arms out, and he got up, praising God, leaping, walking around. And everybody in the place knew, that's the crippled dude. He's never walked. There's no magic show going on here. There's no trick. They had ample, continued witnesses that said, this man's been crippled from his birth. He came out crippled. He's never walked. His ankles and his arms have always been this way. But the day Peter and John in the presence and the power of our God who were now transformed by the work of God, now living in a new way, no longer dependent on those old ways, but said, I'm going to trust Jesus Christ to do this great and mighty thing. What I'm giving you is free from Him. I don't have gold and silver because that won't change your condition, but what I have will. Jesus Christ can make the difference in your life. And this man stood up. When Jesus Christ, first let me back up, when the people of God live according to the Word of God, as we see here in Acts chapter 2 as an example, we start to see the power of God demonstrated. And when we start to see the power of God demonstrated, what we see is a transforming work take place in the lives of people. See, listen, if you have truly met Jesus Christ, He has truly got you in your crippled state. Because you and I were crippled by sin from birth. I'm not going to debate with anybody on this point. You were crippled by sin from birth. Oh, it may not have looked like the crippledness, but you were. You had a sin nature. That's why they call them terrible twos. You had it. And you stayed in it until the preaching of God's Word 
and the presence of the Holy Spirit mixes within you to produce faith, and faith responds by repentance and belief, and then in the process of God's holy work, you are lifted up out of sin. And for the first time in your spiritual existence, you're no longer lame and you're able to walk after God. That's what He did. That's what happened. See, so if you've had an encounter with Jesus, I'm going to tell you the first thing that should have happened to you and to me and anybody, there should have been transformation. When they tell you I'm saved and their life doesn't change, and I mean doesn't change, I don't mean that you got a new job or some other thing. I'm talking about there's just nothing changed. It's, I'm still the same. Oh, I got saved today at church and nothing's changed. I'm going to tell you, you better go see the Lord. Because this man was changed. It was transforming work. A man who was crippled is now walking and praising God. It's a transforming work that takes place in our God. Out of my notes. <laughs> I want you to see what else it does. Look at verse uh, 7. He took him by the right hand, lifted up, made his feet and ankles and bones, received strength. So he, leaping, and, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple. Notice what else happens. He's, first of all, he's transformed. The second thing that happens, he now has strength for worship. He's now able to go into the temple. Under, temple, under Le Levitical law, this man could not enter the temple. Think about that. You're a good Jewish boy. You're, you were born. You were born crippled, and the law says you can't come in. Sorry, sit at the gate. Best you can do. Leviticus twenty-one seventeen says so. And for the first time in his existence, not only now is he transformed, but he now can come in the presence of God and worship God. He leaps up and walks with the brethren to go in. I'm here to tell you that if God's done a transforming work in your life, you want to worship God with God's people. Not going to debate that either. I worship God, but I don't worship with God's people. Really? I worship God, but I don't go where the worship's being held. I worship God, but you know, I worship Him in my own way. Well, God prescribed a method, and it ain't your way, it's His. No matter what we think, it's His way. It's a transforming work. He was strengthened for the service, and He had fellowship and worship. Notice what it says He went with Peter and John. These two men who, obedient to the commands of God, transformed by the Holy Spirit, goes in there and worships with this man for the first time in his life. That's what God does. And then we see the last thing, and I'll wrap it up. Yeah. Verse 9, And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. You have a testimony before the world. Probably the best thing that somebody can say to you if you're a new believer or recently converted or long-standing conversion is to say this, you're not the same as you used to be. Whatever that is, whatever God has delivered you from, whatever He's freed you from, whatever your fleshly lusts were that drew you away into sin, well, He's freed you from that. And they say, That's, you're not like you used to be. I think one of the struggles we have in, in terms of sanctification is when we come into church and we're a Christian and they're a Christian, you don't know me before. So you look at me now going, hey, Robin, you got this problem and that problem and the other problem. 
You should have seen me before. You think this is bad? <laughs> this is a lot of God's work happening right here. If anybody should know, my wife, she can testify to the truth of what I was as a lost man. She knows. Greatest compliment somebody can tell you, you're not the same as you used to be. You have no testimony in the world. Remember, these guys found favor with all at the end of chapter 2. You and I should be finding favor. Now, finding favor can go like this. We don't want to hear nothing else you got to say because you keep talking about that Jesus. Well, thanks for the favor because I'll be gone now. Bye. That's dust your feet. This is what happens when the church submits himself to her Lord and lives in the truth of His Word. Life-changing events happen. And it's all completely and solely the work of our God and King. The church doesn't actually do any of this. Her God and her King is the one who does this. Because we know in the rest of the passage, I'm going to save it for next week, but the short version is He tells them that it's God who glorifies the Lord Jesus has done this. You guys killed the man. You guys rejected him. But here's some good news. <laughs> he tells them. When they say, repent. 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 So I'm asking you here today. First and foremost, has your life changed? Has the transforming work of God been happening? Or is it still the same? Do you have strength for service? I mean serving Him. I don't mean rudimentary rituals and traditions. And again, I'm okay with traditions. Do you fellowship and worship? Does the world know you're different? If it is, rejoice. And be exceedingly glad because God's done a work in you. He's done for you what you could not do yourselves because you were stuck on the outside of the gate, crippled and unable to enter. And a few little pennies that you'd collected was insufficient to bring you inside. But what you could not do, Christ has done in Himself. Washed you, set you apart, made you ready for the kingdom. And that's the good news here today. Jesus has done this. Let's pray together. Our Father, we love you and we thank you, and I pray I've communicated your words of life. I thank you so much, Lord Jesus, that you poured out your Spirit so long ago upon your church. And you brought the words of truth through your men. And the word has not changed. The truth is still the truth. It's still ongoing. And you go to the temple gate you go to the crippled, the spiritually lame, the spiritually broken, and you raise them up. And you place them in your presence. You have done that in all of our lives who claim the name of Jesus Christ. And for those who are still crippled, Father, I pray, one, that you would visit them, that you would raise them up as well, 
you would grant them repentance and believe in faith. And Father, you would make us ever more like your people so that we stop, we engage, and we give the truth. Jesus, the Lord of Lords, King of Kings, is the only way. That's in his name I pray. Amen. Amen.